Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. The more things change, the more they stay the same. If you're watching on YouTube, setup is back. We're back. We're back to facing. We're back to you guys facing the window and the door, baby. You know, I just uh, tested some things out. I, I like my desk being at the foot of the bed rather than the side. Dominic Sully. Nobody cares about that, though. We have a jam-packed episode today. So before we get in, though, I just got to ask how you're doing because I care about you so much. I care about you so much, too, Noah. I'm doing really good. It's been a good week. I feel like it's been a long time since we've got to catch up with one another. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, man, everything's been going good. Life is good. Back here in the studio with you to kick off the weekend. We got a lot to talk about, as you said. But I'm going to ask you real quick. How are you doing? The best is blessed. All right. So let's get into our fight announcements. <laughs> let's do it. Because <laughs> I, guys, this this episode's it's a lot. Good. Strap in, hey, buckle, buckle Whoop. up, click it or ticket. You know. Yeah. Starting with UFC 267. That's our next numbered event, not pay per view. This is the event being held on. Is it ABC? Correct. This is. That's in, that's what the rumors yeah, were. Yeah, in Abu Dhabi, I believe this is being held on ABC rather than um, your classic ESPN Plus pay-per-view model. UFC so. 267. We got two big announcements for that card, but we'll start with the sad one. Mm. RDA, Rafael Dos Anjos, is unfortunately out of his scheduled three-rounder with Islam Makachev. Reports seem to suggest, Dominic, that Islam Makachev will look to stay on this card and fight a new opponent. But it's got to be pretty clear that any person that's going to be willing to step up in this short amount of time, it's probably going to be a lateral step to, say, him fighting a Tiago Moises or Drew Dober, two guys that he handedly beat. So, Dominic, do you think Makachev gets that replacement opponent and stays on this card, or do you think that he uh, decides to? it's not really worth the risk? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's going to be close because what? I mean, we're a month out at this point, and obviously him and RDA, it just seems like it's the fight that just can't come to fruition. That's the second or third time it's fallen through, and it really was that kind of big step for Islam to really prove he's amongst the elite in this division, so it's very unfortunate. Shout out to RDA. Hope it's nothing too serious. Hope he heals up quickly. Can we get someone in there on October 30th against one of the most dangerous guys in the division? That is the question. I'd like to think yes, but then again, as Noah said, is it going to be a lateral step, something that doesn't really help Islam propel much forward in this division, being that he's already number five? So is it even worth the risk for him? And even though, of course, Islam thinks he's unbeatable, obviously, which he should. He's a fantastic fighter. I mean, really, there's not even anyone that I could think of that would make sense to hop in. There's one, but I just don't know if it's feasible because of travel and visa stuff, but it's Dan Hooker. But I don't know if they're going to send him from here all the way to Abu Dhabi without going back home to New Zealand. So long story short, I unfortunately don't even think we're going to see Islam on this card. I hope we do, though. I would argue that Dan Hooker is also not a lateral step from yeah. Tiago Moises oh, no. and Dover. So truth be told, I don't see if you're Dan Hooker, I get it. You know, you're a competitor. A big opportunity to fight Islam Makachev at this point, but I don't see why you take that fight. You don't need to take that fight right now. Yeah. So 
I'm a little bit more on the pessimistic side. Most people seem to really believe that he'll stay on this card. I just really don't see why you would unless you just want to stay active, which is perfectly reasonable. But maybe I compare a little too closely to Habib's career. But this, if you took out Islam and put Habib in this spot in his rise, I just don't think Habib stays on this card. Yeah, I think he was a little too meticulous on when he was fighting, what condition he was in when fighting, you know, just very careful about those kind of things. So I would assume Islam Makachev will kind of play a similar hand, if I had to guess. Right. However, not all is lost because we do have a replacement in our co-main event. We mentioned on Friday, Aljamain Sterling, current men's bantamweight champion, will be out of that bout against Peter Yan. So there's a there was a need for Jan to really we just need some we need some sort of direction in this division because it's yeah. so good. This division's fantastic. But at the very top, we have a champion who just doesn't quite feel like the champion. And he deserves a chance to prove that he, he is, but of course. Unfortunately, he is he's not in any condition to probably be fighting at the end of the month. So because that an interim title has been put into place. Peter Jan will now face Corey Sanhagen. Corey Sanhagen, the man who lost in a very razor-thin, close five-round main event against a returning T.J. Dillashaw this summer. T.J. Dillashaw's knee looked like hamburger patty about a week ago. There it is. So Sanhagen gets the opportunity here, Dominic. This will be the first time, technically, that two... Fighters in a main in a title fight are both coming in off losses, so yeah. not exactly a, a great uh, sentiment there. But I don't think that really speaks to the quality of the fight. Um, does this does this matchup interest you any more less than the Sterling Yan fight? This interests me ten times more than Sterling Yan, and it's no slout to Sterling. But we know, and what was funny enough is he mentioned it on an MMA hour himself. He even said. Yep, Peter Jan was kicking my ass. It's quite obvious where that fight was trending towards. So I respect him for saying that. And again, we just we got to see that fight already. We know what that outcome was inevitably more than likely going to turn into be. But this fight right here, a lot of people have been viewing Corey Sanhagen, including you and me, as a future champion. And now he's just getting his shot a little bit sooner than anticipated against the ultra-tough Peter Jan we know. He's only got one loss in his career, and it was years and years ago. And uh, he just looks better and better every time he comes into the cage. His striking, his grappling, he's top tier. Corey Sanhagen, an elite striker in his own right. Very, very much excited to see how this will play out stylistically. It's very fan-friendly. I think it's going to be a lot of volume, a lot of output. Whew. Yeah. As I know as, you're probably more excited than me, too. As good as Corey Sanhagen is, and as good as he's shown to be, I'm very intrigued by this belt because I think there's a chance – that as good as he is and as much room as he still has to grow, that Peter Jan might do to him similar what he did to Aljamain Sterling. Just obviously Sterling and Sanhagen bring different skills to the table. But, you know, Jan kind of grappled circles around Sterling, yeah. um, getting him with the trips and everything and um, really just kind of making him look foolish at times. Sanhagen is such a good striker, but Jan is really prides himself on his striking ability. So once that battle takes place, you know, I'll be very intrigued at how that kind of technical bout goes down because I think that uh, 
That could be anybody's fight, but if Sanhagen does get an edge there, this gets really interesting. This division might get put up upside down. Can you imagine Corey Sanhagen wins this fight, Dominic, and then Peter Yan doesn't quite get that chance that he deserves to fight Aljamain Sterling? I mean, it's a risk for him to even take this fight, but I, I don't blame him for doing it, and I'm glad he is. Yeah. But um, this division could get put on its head. It's just a risk that I guess uh, – I'm excited to see, though. Oh, 100%. November 20th, a couple additions to this card. This fight night's really stacking up to be a really mm. good one in the, to end the year. Uh, first off, main event, got the got moved to this date. Ketlin Vieira, Misha Tate, happy about that one. Of course. But then also, Augusto Sakai, the number 10 heavyweight in the world, goes up against the Shuey himself. Ty Bam Bam Tui Vasa could not talk about the guy. I guess this means his bout with Walt Harris is also off of UFC 267. I guess that's worth noting. But while that bout was also awesome and you know was going to be a lot of fun, this one's I mean maybe more intriguing. You know, Sakai has not been one of our uh, guys. He's not been a guy we've been super high on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just been a lot of like prove it moments for him, and we've he's yet to really do that for us. I mean, he hasn't won since we started this podcast, so that definitely doesn't help things. While Tui Vasa, when we started this podcast, was very close to potentially being cut from the UFC, has now went on a three fight win streak. So started his career three and zero in the UFC, lost three straight, now three fight win streak again. He's on probably the best run of his career. Dominic, does it does it continue against Augusto Sakai? Yeah, this is an interesting matchup because Sakai is kind of that methodical, you know, likes to dirty box in the clinch, press you up against the cage type of fighter. and bam, Likes bam. to slow it down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know? really slows it down and ties the complete opposite. He's going to come right out at you. He's going to look to land haymakers, and if he puts you down, you're not going to get back up anytime soon. I think it's Ty's, you know, big chance to uh, – launch himself into that top 15 where he got so close at one point, he may have even been like a number 15 on that three fight win streak when he first came in, but then he had the skid as no mentioned. Now he's back on another win streak. And if he wins this against number 10 Sakai, he launches himself right in there with a bunch of these other younger prospects that are starting to uh, make some noise in the heavyweight division. So I think that's a very fun fight. And then obviously Vieira Tate, we've talked about it before. So we're just glad that that got moved. They keep their headlining spot this fight night right here, ladies and gentlemen is going to be a good fight night. Mm-hmm. Agreed. December 4th, we get a headline <laughs> headlining bout there. That's oh. going to be two top five Bantamweights. Number four, Rob Font takes on number five, Jose Aldo. There was a lot of people calling for Rob Font to be in Mr. Corey Sanhagen's place mm-hmm. as that interim title fight at UFC 267. He doesn't get it. Gets a big bout here, though, against Jose Aldo. Dominic, do you think this was a good, um, I guess, plan B for Rob Fott and his team? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, this is, you know, his shot to take out a legend in Jose Aldo that everyone has respect for. And obviously, if you're Jose, your shot at a potential rematch with Peter Jan is all of a sudden not that too far out of the realm of possibility, I guess, <laughs> uh, because he's launched right in here with, you know, Rob Font. And as much as you'd like to call this a number one contender fight, the three guys ahead of Font are so 
jam packed right now. This is definitely not that, but a statement to be made here nonetheless for either man to solidify themselves as an elite in this division, in this stacked bantamweight division, as Noah's already mentioned. This is going to be a banger, fan friendly on the feet. I, I don't imagine this going to the ground much at all. I think we got a technical boxer in Rob Font, one of the most lethal strikers in MMA history in Jose Aldo. I mean, come on. Looking at this bout with the naked eye, you might assume this is a title eliminator, but I think there's like a less than 5% chance <laughs> yeah. that this the winner of this bout actually fights for the title next because there's just, you're right, the top of the division is so exciting, so jam-packed. Literally, you've got a champion who's still recovering. Yeah. Interim belt introduced. So it's either going to be Jan or Sandhagen who will end up fighting for the real belt against Sterling, while the loser of that belt might end up fighting the winner of this one or might end up fighting TJ Dillashaw when he yeah. comes back. Maybe TJ Dillashaw is still guaranteed yeah. a title shot once he recovers. I mean, there's so many variables here, but I like the matchup. Rob Font, he proved a lot in his win over Cody Garbrandt. Mm-hmm. But I think um, Jose Aldo maybe has just garnered a little more respect at this point, even in the Bantamweight division, one that Cody Garbrandt was at the head of at one point, just has kind of fallen from that from that pedestal, I guess, that he was once at. Um, while Jose Aldo, maybe not having the cleanest of goes at Bantamweight, has really shown that he is still a formidable opponent. And a win over him, I think, just keeps getting Rob Font that respect he deserves. Yeah. While Jose, you know, even though he already has that respect due to all he's accomplished, whenever Rob Font, you're right. And I mean, the title shot that we thought was never going to happen for him again. Yeah. Especially if Jan's not in the title, not in the the picture. If Sandhagen beats Jan and then it's Sandhagen Sterling too, Aldo. It's like right there. Yeah. You know, maybe he gets the fight with Dillashaw. That'd be an awesome fight. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he just finds himself in a position where he fights the winner of Sterling Sandhagen. Like who would have thought? I mean, Jan might not be even have to be the guy he gets goes through right. to get the title. That would just be insane. But it's I think it's one of the last headliners to for the year in terms of like headliners that are yet to be announced. So yeah. five rounds for that one. That's also another battle in itself, which I don't want to get too much into the X's and O's, but you know, Aldo not having the best of gas tanks, while Rob Font just has that pace he puts on people mm-hmm. for five rounds. That'll be a lot of a lot of interesting battles to be had in that fight for sure. A week after UFC two sixty nine, <laughs> the pay per view to end the year. This pay per view just gets better and better. Yeah. Pedro Munoz, who we last saw at UFC 265 in a losing effort to Jose Aldo. He's coming back to end the year, and he's going up against the former two-time men's bantamweight champion, Dominic Cruz. So Dominic, <laughs> yeah, weird to say. Um, this is a good addition to this card, but once again, Dominic Cruz a guy who I never thought would be in this position might find himself on his second straight prelim card due to yeah. how stacked this is. Yeah. Um, and I mean, on paper, this is a fantastic fight. Pedro Munoz mm-hmm. is always going to be in a fun fight. Never seen him in a boring one. And, and Dominic Cruz, everybody or not everybody, but I love watching the way that man moves about the octagon, his in and out movement. It's always so unique compared to what we've seen in the past. And, you know, he looked good in that fight with Casey Kinney. 
uh, earlier this year, which was a prelim headliner. And yes, this card is so stacked right now. He may be in another prelim headliner, the legend Dominic Cruz. But I think this is a great fight. Fights like this are what make the most sense for Cruz at this point. Not that he can't get back into a title contention, but I love kind of the Pedro Munoz and like a potential Frankie Edgar maybe in the future, a potential Jose Aldo in the future. I like those a lot for Dominic Cruz. And by the way, it does kind of trickle you into the top of the division anyway. So uh, I think this is a very fun fight. Again, fan-friendly. There's not one fight that we're talking about on here that isn't fan-friendly. I'm very excited to see, can Pedro Munoz bounce back? Can he pick up a big win over a former champ for Cruz? Let's see if he can kind of keep that momentum going. Yeah, Cruz has more at stake, I guess, in terms of the his standing in the division. Well, because Pedro Munoz is kind of teased potentially going down to flyweight. So, in the event that he would actually do that, I mean, I guess win or lose here, he could inevitably drop down and be a formidable player there. While Dominic Cruz feels pretty safe and secure as a bantamweight, I would yeah. say, and. Um, for him, it's just like you got to get those wins in a you know in a row, really get those ducks in a row in order to get to the top. And you're right, you know those fights do make a lot of sense. You have a Frankie Edgar in the future, or Jose Aldo, but that Jose Aldo fight might end up having more <laughs> at stake yeah. than we would have assumed six months ago. You know, yeah. A week later, December 18th, another headlining bout has been put into place, and this one. Shook me a little bit. I was a bit shooken by this one. <laughs> Heavyweight action is Derek Lewis. He lost his uh, last bout in the main event for the interim title, uh, UFC 265. He's coming back again to end the year against the man who fought last week, Chris Dawkins, who's now the number seven ranked heavyweight in the world. This man is being shot out of a cannon yes. in 2021. Now, Dominic, you were very adamant about Chris Dawkins fighting perhaps a Curtis Blades. Right. Do you prefer this matchup for him, or is it just as exciting? Are you a little less excited for it? Where does your mind go with this one? Well, you'd like to think stylistically it kind of plays a little bit more into his favor, right? Because you know, and you had your kind of like hold back on a potential Blades matchup because of Dawkins' potential as the young prospect, but Blades is such a – you know, a weird one in, in a sense where his grappling is so much higher than those in this heavyweight division. So it's a very tough test. And then if Dawkins all of a sudden goes in and loses to Blades, it's like, oh, well, we can't really shake him into this top five. But instead, let's go one spot ahead and give him Derek Lewis, who, by the way, is also coming off of a freaking title fight interim, albeit. But everybody loves Derek Lewis. So if Chris Dawkins can go in here and defeat him, especially in convincing fashion, because ladies and gentlemen, he's 4 0 in the UFC, all of them. By first or not, not all by first round anymore, but they're all by KOTKO. So if he can go out and put on a great performance against Derek Lewis, that's going to say a lot about this kid's potential. And then you got to think, well, he's all of a sudden launched into the top three. What are we going to do next with Chris Dawkins and what would just be his fifth <laughs> fight in the UFC? So it was very surprising, as Noah said. But one fight that I'm honestly, I like it. Even for Derek Lewis, it's a good fight to potential, potentially bounce back. I love this fight. It's a fun one for sure and uh, really shows what the UFC are valuing Chris Dawkins at right now. Yeah. Um, maybe even higher. They're valuing him even higher than Tom Aspinall right now, mm -hmm. which is an interesting debate that could be had in the future. You know, which guy is going to be maybe the more promising long-term investment? Because I think before this previous bout against Abdurrahimov, I would have thought that the UFC was more interested 
in Tom Aspinall. But mm -hmm. Chris Dawkins, man, just based on the timing alone, you know, really having an opportunity to say, no, I'm, you know, you guys are talking about John Jones and Stipe and, um, you know, obviously Surreal Ghana and Ganu. Now Chris Dawkins is here and looking for a title shot too. And yeah. that's going to be wild if you have to throw him in the, in there as well, along with the rest of those guys I just mentioned. So um, it might seem a bit out there right now to group him with those other four, but I went over Derek Lewis and he's literally right there. Oh yeah. He's a player. And then Dominic, the last one here. Can you Ooh, believe this? I'm sweating. We're getting, we're getting into a fight announcement for 2022. Yeah. It's the first one that we're talking about on this show anyway. So, and it's, this one's got a lot at stake, I would say as well. This one, I feel a little more confident in calling a title eliminator. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. It's going to be Jared Cannonier and Derek Brunson, two top five middleweights. This is January 2nd, UFC 270. Say that five times fast. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. But it's, I'm gonna. It's not been official, so we haven't talked about it. But I'm gonna assume the main event for this card ends up being Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. Yeah. So one of these guys is probably playing the um, replacement game too. Right. But all in all, you got to think that this is being set up so the winners of these two bouts fight each other next, right? You would think. I mean, it seems like all signs are pointing that direction, especially if the title fight happens on the same card. Then you've got them on the same timetable, so that way they can recover at the same time, and they'll fight at the same time, maybe the summer of 2022. Um, so, yeah, I love this fight. Obviously, Brunson, blonde Brunson at that, is on an absolute tear right now, coming off of his huge win uh, over Darren Till and one that he dominated throughout until he got the finish. And Jared Cannonier bounced back su successfully, looked great against uh, Kelvin Gastelum in his headlining bout. So now, here we are. We're going to clash. We know that Cannoneer and Izzy have always wanted to fight each other, so it seems clear should he win, it's a definite title shot. And if Brunson were to win, there's a history there. He's already lost to Izzy, but that's the last time he did lose, and now he's on a five-fight win streak, and he's looked great every fight since. So uh, I'm very excited to see how this will play out. Yes, definitely safe to say in this one compared to some others, at least it should be a title eliminator. Yeah, Dominic, I agree. This is what I would call perfect matchmaking on behalf of the UFC. Now, it did kind of fall right in front of their face. I mean, it literally was in their laps, and they couldn't look past the fact yeah. that these two guys both need one more, and both are in the driver's seat, so why not match them up with one another? And in terms of the actual matchup itself, which I don't want to go too far into because we'll do that in January, hopefully, but – Cannoneer being that more powerful, strike-heavy guy, well, mm -hmm. the guy who's going to look to keep that fight standing, I would assume. And Derek Brunson going to be a guy that's definitely looking to take that fight to the ground. Both guys can offer something on the other end, yep. so they're not like completely helpless in terms of uh, you know Brunson's striking versus Cannoneer's grappling. But um, I wouldn't say they have near the skill set needed to, I guess, do anything worthwhile against the others. So both guys clear advantages and disadvantages here. Um, someone's going to come out on top and fight for a belt that really a year ago, I didn't think was going to be quite possible. So I, I definitely look forward to one of those guys shining through and making a big statement. Well said, my friend, that's going to wrap it up for the fight announcements, but Oh, there's more. There's a lot, a lot more. more new. <sighs> yeah. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about John Jones again. 
Uh, Friday, we brought up how John Jones was arrested. Did we talk about that on Friday? No, we talked about Monday. that on Monday. Excuse yeah. me. Uh, he was arrested a week ago today when you're watching. So last Friday, he was arrested following his induction into the UFC Hall of Fame. Um, at the time, there wasn't a whole lot of details out about the arrest. But, um, you know, just based off the charges alone, you know, there was a lot of people kind of like holding their breath, like, oh, boy, what's – you hear domestic dispute and – um, obviously causing damage to a vehicle, you know, stuff. You're like, oh, this doesn't sound great. Yeah. And the details have come out. The detailed police report, I believe, was uh, has gotten into the hands of a lot of the different media outlets. So to, if you guys want to go see those details, you know, explained, you can do that. ESPN reported on it. But I think some of the other outlets got into more details, maybe like, a, maybe like an MMA junkie or someone like that has a more detailed – report out there um it's even worse than you could have expected it's yeah this is bad this is this is really bad and i guess it shouldn't come as a surprise right you know that's what everybody's gonna say you know he had this laundry list of transgressions prior this is a guy who hit the vehicle of a pregnant woman evaded the scene you know tested positive for cocaine he's had multiple run-ins in terms of uh, steroid use in the past. I mean, there's a list here, right? Yeah. But this this is like going a different direction. You know, this is this is getting into a dark place. You know, you if you look into these details, you're not gonna. There's not a lot to to see in terms of. There's nothing here to, that's defensible. There's nothing that goes okay. You know. Previously, I'm not even going to say it was really defensible, especially, you know, you're talking about hitting a pregnant woman with your car and stuff. Yeah. Like that's not defensible, but, it, you know, it's 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 constantly came back to, oh, John Jones has all of these demons and, um, you know, that he's – a lot of times if you're more on the defense side of him, I guess, it was always that he's a good guy that just can't – get past some of this stuff that well, you know maybe he needs to clean himself if he could just clean himself up you know he would be the kind of champion in the public that he's proven to be in the octagon and after this i just don't i i, I have a hard time seeing the humanity in him any longer and that's just yeah. so unfortunate because you know even on monday's episode i was a little more like hey guys let's let's pump the brakes on kicking a guy while he's down um you know, I was still trying to be like, not in his corner, but just trying to be a little more understanding, I guess. And now all I just want, I just want to make sure his family's okay. Yeah. <laughs> These are the people that got affected by this incident. And I'm going to just assume that based on my own thoughts and how this stuff works, that this is not the first time something like this has happened. So... <clears throat> I mean, this is just very disappointing because obviously <clears throat> this is a guy that was a former champion. Um, obviously, you know, again, laundry list of stuff that's happened to him. But it, this, this, it's never been, in my opinion, as bad as this. And yeah. Maybe that's what this leads to eventually, right? You start with smaller things, and <laughs> it feels weird to say smaller things when you have a hit and run yeah. and all that, but. It started with things that there was always a way to like try to defend it, you know. 
And then you just got to this point where it's like, wow, we are at the point of no return now. Like you, we, 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 we almost like didn't treat it serious enough for so long. And now it's gone too far. Um, and there's no going back. So Dominic, I kind of rambled a lot there. I'm trying to gather a lot of my own thoughts on the situation, but I don't expect you to, I guess, detail your thoughts that much, but, um, I, maybe I, I'm going to ask you from the UFC's perspective. What do you think should and ultimately what do you think will be done involving this incident? What do I think should be done? And this, I mean, that doesn't even seem like much of a hot take now because it's all I'm seeing on Twitter. Why not cut the guy? Because, and it, it sucks to say that, right? Because he's one of the greatest fighters we've ever seen inside the cage. And he's had so many great fights in the UFC, been a great champion in the cage. But outside of the cage, I think it just comes to a point where it's too much shit. It's too much dirty laundry. Uh, it's too much of a liability if you're the UFC. And I know that they've not really taken a stance against things like this in the past, which isn't the best look when it comes to domestic violence and whatnot. But, I mean, right now, one of your former champions, a big name, why not take a stand, though, and maybe release the guy or at least for a while and don't don't give in to kind of the shenanigans and how he always seems to – get his way back into fights and get his way back into the UFC. There's just been drama through and through ever since he became a champion at 23 years old. And it's only gotten worse. Now we're bringing family, his wife, kids into this, which is so horrendous to see. And again, thoughts and prayers to them. Hope they're okay. And uh, yeah, it's just ugly. It's uncomfortable. So should the UFC take a stand? Yes. I think it is finally time to take a stand. Will they? I don't know. It's hard to say because again, he is one of their best champions. They know that there's big fights to be had if he can clean his act up and get back into the cage. So it's a double-edged sword, to be honest. Uh, but that's what I think should happen. Will it happen? More than likely, probably not. And we will still see John Jones fight again next year, which is quite crazy to comprehend. It is. It is crazy to comprehend right now. And I'll be curious to see how this incident, I guess, does it blow over in the eyes of the public or is this incident something that people really hold on to? I'm going to use an example. That's not, I would argue is not necessarily quite as bad, but again, you're like kind of pulling hairs here, right? Dominic, you remember we were living in the dorms when Conor McGregor had the Dolly incident. Yep. And this is not an apples to apples comparison. I don't want to compare <laughs> one situation pretend it's the same as the other, but just walk with me here. You know, the Dolly incident happens. I remember me and you having a conversation in that dorm room where we thought mm -hmm. John or Conor McGregor will never fight again. I mean, at the time it's like, this guy just look what he just did. You know, look yeah. how bad that is. He got arrested and all this stuff, you know, caused a lot of damage. The fighters, fighters having to be pulled from the card. I mean, it looked really bad. Yeah what was it six months later he was in the headlining spot of the biggest pay-per-view in ufc history and that footage was yeah. used in the promotion for the fight the devil works hard dana white <laughs> works harder and uh, that's no you know in, there is a a morality debate here i mean technically these are fighters that they're not the ufc's employees they're independent contractors so it's mm -hmm. kind of like you know, there is that morality debate, like how much does the UFC really, you know, they're listening to what the, you know, 
they're going to go through the legal process, process, like follow that. And based on whatever legal trouble he actually finds himself in, they will essentially react accordingly. Yeah. So when he said that, I'm like, he's not being cut. I mean, it's not going to happen. And I guess when my, my point was with the Conor McGregor Dolly thing, I know a lot of people, that was kind of one of the first incidents where they, you know, for hardcore fans started to be like, Ooh, Conor McGregor might actually not be my favorite fighter of all time. He might not <laughs> yeah. be the coolest thing of all time. He's kind of, it's kind of a shithead move. But the majority of people that were buying the pay-per-views, that were buying the merchandise, that were still fans, still loved the guy, and not necessarily defended that incident, but they were still in his corner. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Like You can still be a fan of the guy. That's it's not really the point, I guess, there. It's just it felt like that was an incident that kind of blew over over time. And it only became more of a sticking point once Connor punched an old man at the bar. He's even had some assault allegations of his own. Mm-hmm. You know, there's other things that have come up with McGregor to where you list them all together. If you're someone that doesn't like him, especially, you're going to start throwing that all out there. Like, look at this. He did this, 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 and this. So the Dolly yeah. incidents kind of became more reverent in our minds. But at that time, it kind of blew over. You get the biggest UFC fight of all time. John Jones, if you had to, if you ask me what I think is going to happen, he is still going to make that jump to heavyweight in 2022. Um, it might come later than he was originally wanting to do quarter two of 2022. Maybe that mm-hmm. won't happen now due to this incident. But the, whenever it happens in 2022, I do think he will immediately jump into a title fight with the winner of Gan and Ganu. And I, I, I want to believe that there is going to be an outcry, you know, of rightfully, you know, the UFC sh- aren't going to care, but they should get some shit thrown at him for this, if, that, mm-hmm. if that's what the move they make. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to be, they're going to get the pay-per-views they want from this and whatnot. So it's not really going to matter, but I digress, um, you know, just – a lot of disappointment for this whole situation. You just don't, you know, Dominic, this it's just we 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 used to be like big pro wrestling fans, you know. Yeah. And you remember when like you had the Eddie Guerrero passing and Chris Benoit. I mean, my God, the the horrific details of that incident. And you know, it just like tainted like everything. This is a bit of a selfish point. I'm just bringing this up because I'm trying to process a lot of things here. Chris Benoit thing happens. Then you try to go back and watch these huge moments. You know, Chris Benoit entering at number one in the 2004 Royal Rumble and going all the way to win the whole match. Mm-hmm. His triple threat match at WrestleMania 20 with Shawn Michaels and Triple H, one of the best matches of all time. It's hard to watch now because you know yeah. what he ended up doing. So now I'm going to have a similar feeling to John Jones when I go back and watch his fight with Alexander Gustafson or his fights with Dominic Cruz and Tiago Santos that are fantastic. Or even when he won the belt against Shogun Hua or when he had these defenses against Lyoto Machida, I'm just going to look back and be like, like this guy, this isn't a good person. I'm watching. I can't really, you know, enjoy it. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it feels like it's tainted now a little right. bit. And, uh, just a very unfortunate situation all around. Yeah, for sure. 
let's move on to something I guess more interesting to talk about. Still going to be something that's very out of the out of nowhere. But it puts a say. smile on my face. <laughs> so Henry Cejudo, uh, who retired following UFC 249. That's right. He's only been retired for about a year and a half. Uh, feels a lot longer, in my opinion. Yeah. He has announced that he will be uh, – I guess he's announced he's coming out of retirement, and the hope here is that he will fight Alexander Volkanovsky, the current featherweight champion, in the hopes of becoming the first fighter to ever win a belt in three different weight classes in the UFC. Also called him Alexander the Average a lot. That's been his thing. <laughs> yeah. So Dominic, Max Holloway, and Yaya Rodriguez are fighting on uh, November 13th. November 13th, thank you. We've been assuming this whole time the winner of that bout will fight Alexander Volkanovsky. But now that Henry Cejudo has came out and said that he would like a shot at Alexander the Average, where do you think do you think that the UFC might seriously consider doing this in the meantime, or um, is this is this uh, not really as realistic about as maybe we're I guess entertaining here? Uh, I don't think it happens next necessarily. I still think it's going to be the winner of Yair and Max. But, you know, the king of cringe, he's getting himself back out in the headlines. It had been a while. There was a lot of quietness going on. And I will say his call out, his plead, essentially, to Dana White, he said, forget the king of cringe, forget the triple C. This is me, Henry Cejudo, saying I want to come out of retirement. I want to show the world that I am the best combat sports athlete of all time. I want a third belt and a third weight class. I want to go up to 145 where the odds are stacked against me and beat Volkanovsky. And, you know, you got to love the guy, right? Cringe or not, he knows the character that he is, but he's an incredible fighter, and you can't take that away from him. His athletic abilities are second to none. And I can't say, and we've talked about this specific fight before, it's very intriguing simply because Volkanovski's on the smaller end of featherweight, even though he used to weigh 215 pounds and play rugby. I digress. But Henry Cejudo kind of, at least from a size standpoint, matches up the best at featherweight with Volkanovsky, not to mention his fight style uh, is very complimentary to Volkanovsky's in terms of a great grappler, but well-rounded on the feet. It's a fun fight to imagine. I just don't know if it happens next, but could it maybe happen? Should Volk make another title defense, especially if he were to beat Max Holloway again for a third time, then you finally put that chapter to bed. If again, this is all if then maybe Henry Cejudo can get that one fight. It's just, if you're the UFC, you got to be careful here. Tread the waters lightly because if you let, you know, Henry come back in and say he were to win, is he just going to win the belt and then retire again, kind of like GSP did at middleweight, or is he going to try and defend the belt at 145, which would be a whole other story and really cap off his career as an MMA fighter? But uh, I can't say it's not fun to at least think about a potential future matchup between these two. Yeah, I think so often we we've kind of said if Henry Cejudo is going to try to make this jump to 145 pounds, it seemed like the only realistic opponent for him would be an Alexander Volkanovsky, just due to more of the similarities in their stature. But I don't even know if that's true anymore. I mean, yeah. Alexander Volkanovsky, I think, might do some big harm to – you know you know how much I love Henry Cejudo. Yeah. I stand by the guy might be the greatest combat sports athlete of all time in terms of his complete – 
resume, including the Olympic gold medal and all that. Did you guys know he has a gold medal? I don't know if he's ever talked about it. <laughs> yeah. um, but regardless, you know, the, Dominic, I, I get what you're saying about, you know, should it be next? No, because you got Holloway Rodriguez and uh, maybe down the line. But there's something – there. this is weird timing, in my opinion. It's weird that now he's speaking up. And I know it's because Volkanovski just fought and yeah. it was a huge fight, awesome fight, all that. But it's weird for him to come out and do this now if ultimately he felt like he would get – he would have to wait, you know – a year. Mm-hmm. Like, why talk about it now? Why not wait till after he potentially beats Max Holloway a third time or Yair Rodriguez? Like, why talk now? Yeah. I think he really thinks he might get the next title shot here. and um, I'm not sure if the UFC, how much they really value, I guess, Henry in that way. I mean, I don't, I don't think they don't value him. I mean, I, he, he is a, two division champion and he got the chance to defend both divisions and pretty high profile bouts along the way headlined the first ever ESPN card with TJ Dillashaw. I mean, it's, it's proven that the UFC do see something, you know, they, they, they definitely think that he has made a name for himself, but is it so much a name that he could come back after being off for a year and a half and say, I want to go to a weight class I've never been in and fight for the belt. Yeah, but I the story's there, man. And you got to also think about Alexander Volkanovsky's perspective here. If I'm him, I'm taking this fight 10 out of 10 times, and I want to sign the contract tomorrow. Yeah, and, th- and that's not even because obviously he's going to be confident. You got a guy who's never fought in a weight class before who is you're gonna this is going to be probably the only fight in Volkanovsky's career where he might have the advantage in terms of his stature in terms of his build, you know, he's, this is the first time that's ever going to be a reality and probably the last time. Mm-hmm. Also Volkanovsky, you know, that guy, and I'm not saying because he's ducking him, but he does not want to fight Max Holloway a third time. And I can understand that he beat him twice. Yeah. Regardless of what me or you or anybody else thinks he beat him twice on the record. If I'm him, I want this fight immediately. Probably going to be a bigger payday. Um, you know, there's just a lot of factors that I think Volkanovski. If I'm him, I want this fight now. Yeah. And he said he wants to be more active. I don't know. You know, he did take some damage in that fight with Ortega, obviously five round war type deal. So I don't know how quickly you know he can turn around, but you know, who's to say in a perfect world here, Dominic, that he doesn't fight Henry Cejudo next, but it happens, you know, let's say, I don't know, February, March or something. Yeah. And then the winner, Max and Yair, still gets that next title fight. You know, it's just, it would be a shame, though, if this all happened and then Max wins in a really good fashion and then he still kind of has to get skipped over again. Like, right. just, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, intrigued but very weird it came out of the blue and the timing is just very interesting to me oh yeah you know henry henry has not it's not the first time he's spoken up about volkanovsky but this was a time where you could not avoid it you know previously like i couldn't even remember 
when he's called out Volkanovsky previously. Yeah. But now, like, he was coming after him, it felt like. So, yeah. Uh, we'll see if this if this becomes a legitimate fight. But, uh, I don't know. It's interesting. Throws a wrench into this division, potentially. <laughs> that it does. Before we get into um, a lot of the fights that we're breaking down for this weekend, we got some things that we missed in the news. Let's start with a little pro wrestling. I talked about WWE a little bit earlier, Dominic. Me and you grew up huge fans oh, yeah. of world wrestling entertainment. But Dominic, there is another. There is another promotion that has kind of burst onto the scene in the last few years and has become a pretty big player in the, yeah. in the profession. That is all elite wrestling. Um, this They air on TNT. Uh, eight, one of their two big shows, AEW Rampage, which I believe airs on Fridays. Um, they've had an ongoing storyline with Dan Lambert, who I didn't realize is just a re- he's a personality in professional wrestling. I believe mm-hmm. he, he was on, on Impact Wrestling's r- roster or TNA, as it used to be called for a while. Now he's here with AEW, and um, he's gotten some of his ATT bandmates have uh, been making appearances on Rampage, most notably Kayla Harrison. Jorge Masvidal, Paige Van Zant, um, even my boy Andre Arlovsky, hey, yeah. Junior Dos Santos, and even Austin Vanderford and undefeated Bellator prospect Dalton Rosta. So, Dominic, have you been able to catch any of the clips here? And does this make you a little more interested in perhaps checking out some AEW? Yeah, it's really fun, man, especially from that pro wrestling background that we grew up on. I mean, that was a lifestyle for me as a little kid was <laughs> professional wrestling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, seeing this here, it's fun, right? Because usually, or not even usually, but we've seen, you know, Brock Lesnar trickle over, CM Punk trickle over and try out, you know, uh, the UFC or MMA. And we saw Ronda go over to the WWE and become a superstar there for a couple years. But it's fun to just kind of see, especially here with AEW, a smaller quote unquote promotion. But as Noah said, they've really started surging and they've really taken over really, really big on social media and like barstool and stuff, Mm -hmm. which gets a, a lot of eyes on it. So for ATT and kind of a whole camp, one of the best MMA camps in the world to go and kind of have a little uh storyline with them i think it's very fun and you know the biggest headline or the biggest highlight i should say gotta be when jorge masvidal walking around in the versace loafers in the gucci sweatsuit (laughs) cheetah print lands the flying knee on chris jericho Mm -hmm. and knocks him out i mean come on now so uh, it's really fun to follow along with and uh, i like it again from the wwe pro wrestling background it's fun to see and uh, maybe we'll see some more stuff like this in the future I may or may not have been looking up AEW highlights last night on YouTube (laughs) just to see kind of what they're about and what they've built up because I, I I could potentially start watching here in the next week to really see, not just because of this, but you know, it at least is what's going to kind of catch my interest right now and be like, I feel like my worlds are colliding here, my childhood and my current, life they're they're colliding and i don't know what to do about it but uh it's it's good exposure for these mma athletes yeah really that whole team you know att one of the best 
in the business. And you got to wonder, Dominic, there's been a man that's under ATT that's made a lot of hints at potentially going to pro wrestling. Mr. Daniel Cormier, I would wonder if maybe the end game here is for him to potentially make that crossover to AEW. Only time will tell. Maybe more updates to come on this storyline. But uh, hopefully, maybe I'll start watching it live, and then I can give you guys weekly updates. I don't know. There you go. Crazy things have happened. Um, also, Dominic, Dana White did not speak to the media following UFC 266. However, he did give the media a lot of time following Tuesday Night Contender and 35 minutes of time. <laughs> but uh, 15 of that, about half of the press conference, was dedicated to one man. His best friend. Mm -hmm. Oscar De La Hoya. Now, most of you might have seen the exchanges on Twitter, and I think it even moved over to like Instagram. Uh, basically, following the main event from UFC 266, Oscar tweeted at Alexander Volkanovsky, told him, like, amazing fight, you're a warrior. Also, how does it feel to only get paid like one twentieth of what you're worth? Um, then he like added Dana White, call him scumbag, say pay your fighters, you know, all this stuff. Dana <laughs> responding with the only way Dana knows how. He literally, I think the first sentence of his response was, "Shut the fuck up, you crackhead." And then, <laughs> you know, look, I, Dominic, I, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not someone that likes to make fun of people for their, for their you know, demons or their, uh, you know, this is addiction and trust me, I get it. Like, it's not, it's not something to be joked about, but considering these two hate each other just for data to just continuously. Yeah. Like he's like, if, 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 if the only thing Volkanovsky is looking for an eight ball, then maybe he'll, he'll yeah. get your advice and stuff like, whoo, just, I mean, this, this, this beef is hot, you know? And, uh, it carried over into this press conference, and um, can't believe Dominic. You guys, Dominic didn't even know about this until I explained it to him off recording. Maybe, so maybe you guys don't under don't know what happened, <laughs> but literally the best part about it, right at the beginning, a reporter from the Mac Life, who shout out to that guy, he is essentially responsible for <laughs> yeah. like eighty five percent of Dana White's rants that he's able to trigger him on. He brought up De La Hoya. He said, yeah, your best friend De La Hoya thought it was a good fight. And He's like, Dana goes, oh, we getting into that now? It's like five minutes in. Yeah. Uh, out of nowhere, a green folder appears in Dana's possession. It might have been sitting there the whole time, but just out of nowhere, it's in his hands. And I'm like, oh, shit. He brought the folder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, some papers come out, and he has one of his uh, people on his team pass out papers to everyone in attendance. And he proceeds to go on a 15-minute rant. Citing sources, this man used, this man cited his sources, like you're doing a research paper back in high school, and you had to cite that shit in, like, what was it, MLA format or MLA some shit? MLA and one other one, yeah, I yeah, forget. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he did that here. He he basically, basically, once again, kind of exposed that for, for De La Hoya to called Dana White out for this kind of stuff. It's a bit hypocritical because, you know, he was showing um, the pay. It was like a pay statement or something, basically detailing how much every fighter from a card 
that Oscars Golden Boy promotions had held in the summer. The total purses on that card was about $36,000. Um, 18 fighters on a card, that means about $2,000 per person. They had a great comparison to how Volkanovski gets paid more than that entire purse for all 18 fighters just to wear his Venom fight kit, so before he even steps in the octagon. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good points here. And while, obviously, we're not dumb, there there are more legitimate people and arguments on behalf of raising fighter pay and people that are more that are probably better suited to deliver those arguments than Oscar De La Hoya for sure. But in terms of just this one-on-one situation here, Dana owned Oscar De La Hoya here and this might be the, this might be the period, this might be the exclamation point on this uh on this rivalry. I don't know if we'll, I don't know if you can really, I don't know if he can top this Dominic. I, I just, I think that might've been the, the, the maestro, the, the pin, the, the mic drop. I don't know if there's anything left for this, this, this hate, this feud at this point. Yeah. I mean, we know at least that if De La Hoya goes on another rant and tries to come at Dana White, Dana's got an entire data, (laughs) data driven analytics team behind him to find all of the dirty laundry on De La Hoya and his golden boy promotion to bring forward to the public. But uh, what a rivalry it is. It's funny. It's wacky. It's weird. And uh, here we are to talk about it. Wow. Great thoughts there, Dom. (laughs) Um, Last one. I'm sure you love that I put this one on. Here. Noah, I'm telling you guys, <laughs> Noah eats this stuff up. He does. I, it's worth talking about. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Former UFC welterweight champion, Tyron Woodley, and now 0-1 professional boxer. <laughs> yeah. uh, he did it. He got the tattoo, Dom. Right on the middle finger here. Yep, on the inside of the middle finger, he got... Apparently he he so it says I love Jake Paul. Apparently the love was not tattooed on him. Apparently he oh I'm gonna get into this. I'm gonna give you guys the detail of the I care more about the Tyron Woodley Dan Hardy uh Twitter exchange. Uh, yeah. Did you have a chance to see any of that, Dominic? I, I did see those, yes. Okay, so I'm gonna actually read through them just for the the audience so that they have an idea of what's going on here. So Tyron tweeted at Jake Paul a picture. It was a, he's holding his phone, and it's a picture of Jake Paul on the phone. And then it's him flipping off the phone from a first-person perspective and a tattoo, I love Jake Paul. So he says, what's your excuse again at Jake Paul? And then Dan Hardy just quotes it and says, see? And he just put, and he put on the inside of his middle finger, it's just pen, yeah. it and pen. So then Tyron uh, is like, "You were saying?" Question mark. And it shows him getting a tattooed. Anybody who's gotten a tattoo before could tell you that that was tattooed. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I think there's more here than just Dan saying that. But regardless, Dan says, "So you left out the love part, and that's written in pen. Well played. It looks like a tattoo your friend did when you were both drunk." An embarrassing tattoo is one thing, but a bad embarrassing tattoo is a whole other. Which Tyron didn't take too well. He did says not. your UFC career is embarrassing. 
Your claim to fame is you got stomped by GSP and didn't die. Everything was by design. I'll keep setting trends while you tweet. And he put a screenshot of him, his, his name trending on Twitter, Tyron yeah. Woodley. Dan says you're trending because you got Jake Paul tattooed on your finger. Well done. Congratulations on your championship success. I remember the crowd's booing and appreciation as you wore your heel out against the fence, backing up and avoiding the fight. And the last one, Tyron said, belt and titles, things you dreamed of. They cheered as you were carried out on a stretcher. Champs now were in diapers last time you fought. Keep living your dream on the bag in your garage from outlaw to uber black driver. And I actually think Dan did respond to this. Um, I think he said something about how they're they're really close to the same age, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of funny. But Well, then he leaked their DMs together too. Oh, I see. I didn't see that. Yeah. I mean, was it even worse or was it? Just more shit talking back and forth okay. to one another. It was just taken privately, but he, yeah. yeah. Everybody gets the point here. A lot of shit talk going on here. So we're actually not going to focus too much on the – I mean, let's be honest. This is a bit embarrassing for Tyron to get the tattoo. Can yeah. you admit that? Is yeah, that, the fight's is that not given? even going to happen again. So the fight's not going to happen. So, oh, sure, is he a man of his word? I guess. At what cost? Yeah. You know, just <laughs> At the cost of his middle finger, Noah. Like, it's, a, it's one thing for him to, you know, they had the little agreement in the press conference, you know, one thing for him to get the tattoo just because he lost, but it was like he was very he he seemed a bit desperate to get the rematch, and said, "Well, if you give me a rematch, then I'll get the tattoo." Yeah, and now he's gotten it without that guarantee of a rematch, and thinks that's just going to somehow convince Jake Paul. It's a bit embarrassing, but Dan Hardy and him going back and forth was something I didn't see coming. Yeah, now. What do you think of this, Dominic? Dan Hardy's been looking for a fight for a long time. Uh oh. He's been very interested in getting back into MMA or boxing. What are the chances that this somehow pivots into a Tyron Woodley, Dan Hardy, either MMA fight or boxing match for, I mean, any promotion, I guess? Uh, is there a chance that that's what happens here? Yeah, I mean, it very well could. They were both, you know, in the welterweight division at the same time, but never got. You know, lined up across from one another. Tyron went on to become a champion. We know Hardy fell short in his chance to become a champion. Now they got some beef on social media. Tyron's got the biggest following he's ever had, so a lot of people have seen it. A lot of people love Dan Hardy and the way that he breaks down fights and does a lot of things for BT Sport. So all of a sudden there is a built-in storyline. They're both no, no longer with the UFC. Maybe they are kind of lining up a little boxing match or an MMA match in another promotion. But, uh, you know, again, it's all here or there, but I like your sentiment there because I didn't even think about that coming into this until now. Maybe, just maybe, they will line up a fight one day. Yeah, and it would be interesting that this would, you know, especially if it's on the MMA side of things, that it would probably be for a different promotion other than the UFC. So yeah. uh, having two pretty high-profile um, veterans of the promotion to be competing for one of the competitors – not saying it's going to do gangbusters or anything, but be at least an interesting bout that we'd probably talk about on here. So, um, oh yeah, maybe more details to come. And Luke Thomas even speculated, and I and I kind of tend to agree that the whole reason Dan even said anything is because 
I think the greater play here is that he just wants a fight with Tyron Woodley, and that's why yeah. he spoke up in the first place. So it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But that's it for the news. That's it. But oh wait, there's more. We're gonna we got fights to talk about now, Dominic. Oh yeah, baby. And it starts with the contender series, guys. Week five happened Tuesday. Already Dom- halfway. Dominic watched this week. Yeah, I, guys, I know I had one bad week. I get I it, but I'm back, baby. I know. I miss I miss a whole season. Nobody says anything. <laughs> yeah. Dominic misses one episode, and everybody jumps down his throat. Unbelievable. Shout out to AJ Dobson, the winner of last week's yeah. main event. Yeah. He followed our below average Joe's Twitter and retweeted our uh, episode from last Friday. The Ohio so boys to stick together, right? Mm-hmm. So Dominic, did, I'm glad I'm, I'm gonna. I'm not even gonna ask because I know you went back after that and watched AJ Dobson's contender series fight to see how good he looked. But the bigger question here: Tuesday night, yes, we had four fights, two contracts. This is yeah. Dana feeling a bit stingy this week. <laughs> <laughs> this this episode is up Noah's alley right here. <laughs> um, truthfully, I thought this was just. I thought that made sense. I thought the yep, two guys who got contracts made perfect sense. The two winners that didn't receive them thought made sense. There was, I guess, an argument that we had that Lucas Almeida, the loser of that absolute war, yeah, with Daniel Zellhuber, Zellhuber, mm-hmm. um, could have gotten a contract too, since the UFC has given or Dana has given a contract to a loser of about before. But all in all, two, I'm I'm happy with this one. Yeah, and and yeah. you know I, I guess if I had to talk about standouts, you know Daniel Zell Zellhuber does seem like a, a guy that be on the lookout for. Twenty two years old, he wasn't a bit of a war here, so you know he's gonna have a lot of time to work on maybe the defensive side of things. But what he showed offensively was just very very sound for a guy so young. And Dana doesn't love to give contracts to younger fighters. That's been kind of a point he's made a, a few times is, uh, you know, whenever he, someone asks him, oh, why didn't you give that guy a contract? Why didn't you give this guy a chance? Oh, he's 22, 23, you know, give him some time to grow and whatnot. Uh, but this guy looked very polished on the feet. And, um, I'm excited to see what's next for him. It was a banger of a fight with Lucas Almeida. That fight was awesome. But, uh, yeah, that was a big takeaway for me. Dominic, what say you? Hey, Daniel Zohuber, just to reiterate, incredible fight. Uh, did deserve that contract, even though it was a back-and-forth fight. To be 22-12-0 already, looked incredible offensively, work on the defensive side. I'm excited to see his UFC debut, maybe at the end of the year, maybe early 2022. Uh, but, hey, Igor Poteria, is that how you say his last name? One of Igor, the biggest. yeah. Yeah, something yeah. like that, right? A three to one underdog. I thought it was interesting. Dana kind of brought up some betting odds when he was giving out the contracts. You don't hear that very often. Not that he <laughs> gave it too big of a deal, but he at least painted the picture and presented it. But he was a three to one dog against uh, Lucas Sudowski, a powerhouse from Poland that was looked at as a huge favorite uh, and very much so on his way to the UFC. Stops him three forty in uh, to round number one and KO'd him at that. He looked very powerful, very strong, explosive. He's 6'3", a big guy for 205 pounds, light heavyweight division, and a division that honestly, I guess, is kind of looking for newer guys, especially up-and-coming prospects. Here you are now with Igor, who comes out and uh, gets the upset. Everybody loves an underdog story, so I'm excited for him. He made a, a real big splash against a very, very tough opponent. 
Yeah, and I don't I don't know if I'm the only one that feels this way, but it seems like the contender series contestants more often even than what we get on a week-to-week basis on the other UFC cards. They really just want me to struggle with trying to pronounce these names. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. These names be having letters together that don't even make sense. <laughs> There are some I, I swear ones. every week I look at the fight card and I'm just like, I start sweating. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I have to say to... this on air. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this isn't even one of, this isn't even one of the worst weeks to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Man, just, it was a good, it was a good night of fights, but definitely more on a low key side. You yeah. did have one bout that fell through. Um, one of the contestants, I don't have the names on, on me right now, but. One of the contestants had a pretty bad weight miss, and yeah. ultimately it doesn't seem like he was in very good shape. Really, that more just like he might have been injured or something, or had a bad wake up, whatever. So he pulls from the fight. The guy who you know showed up, made weight, was ready to go. Yeah, Chris Duncan. Thank you, Chris Duncan. He was there Tuesday. They had a conversation with Dana. Yeah, and basically was like, "Look, I want to fight." Yeah. Give me an opportunity. No matter where it is, I will take it. So apparently, Dana, I don't know if Dana gave him a, I don't know if he gave him a guarantee, but he pretty much, it sounds like this kid's going to get a fight. Uh, yeah. Kid. Like I'm some old ass man or something. <laughs> this guy's going to get a fight and it'll probably, you know, sounds like he might actually be able to just jump right in and get a fight in a, on a, major ufc card so yeah props to him for being able to pivot into something make uh life gave him lemons and he made lemonade here right yeah from what i've seen this duncan guy he's undefeated i think seven no had a lot of hype going into this card so i i wouldn't be surprised at all if he gets right into the ufc maybe a short notice opportunity or straight up just about uh lower down on a card but i am excited to see him more so now just because of all the hype and uh, surrounding him in the MMA community. So, all right, tonight, Bellator two sixty seven. That's right. Bellator staying one step ahead of the UFC in their in their oh, ongoing number in their ongoing numbered cards. Bellator has just a short lead. We'll see if that holds up at the end of the month when the UFC goes back to back. Yeah, yeah. But regardless, let's talk about this main event, Dominic. As the top two contenders in Douglas Lima and Michael Page at 170 pounds, they run it back. Mm-hmm. Truthfully, I mean these these are these are two guys that have fought before. Douglas Lima putting MVP on a highlight tape yeah. with a nasty, nasty head kick that clearly turned the lights off of MVP. That was MVP's toughest test to date. Constantly, I guess, through MVP's career, the knock on him has been the level of competition he has fought. But here he is back again. Seems like the last chance here. You know, you get one more shot, hence the headline. Get past Douglas Lima, who has looked more vulnerable in a couple of his previous outings more recently than he did at the time they fought the first time. This is the last chance to make MVP that kind of star in terms of a title contender, a, a man who might actually fight for a title, could even hold a title. It seems like it's now or never, right? Yeah, 100%. And that's what's crazy to me. MVP, a guy that was born and bred and molded 
into Bellator. We talk about this sometimes where they get these guys at the very beginning of the career and of their career and their entirety of it is with Bellator. MVP is 19 and one overall, 15 and one in Bellator alone, which is crazy. And the fact that he has a record so damn good, but has never contended for a title or been a champion is so mind boggling to me, but it goes back to Noah's point of people always talk about the level of competition where he's kind of just taking fights, but never with the elite of the division. And when he did the first time against Lima, he came up short. It's the only loss of his career. And it was a convincing knockout. Douglas Lima, on the other hand, 14 and five in Bellator, but he's been in much bigger fights. He's been a champion before he went up to try and become a champ champ. So, uh, you know, this is a very good fight. Their paths have crossed once again. Once again, uh, we've seen kind of where they went since the first one. Lima went on to become a champion, obviously, tried to become champ champ. But now he's on a two-fight losing streak, where his MVP has rallied off, obviously, five straight wins to get back into this fight. But now it's number one versus number two. MVP's final chance to really, and I maybe, maybe not final chance, but it feels like a final chance to me, to crack in and actually contend for a championship. Uh, it's in London, England, which is huge for MVP. Obviously, that's where he's from. There's going to be crowd there. It's a very big deal for Bellator. They've done a good job at kind of getting these international cards, especially post-pandemic. I mean, I guess we're kind of still in it, but you get my point. Uh, they're going to Ireland and stuff at the end of the year. So uh, this is a big deal. It's a very big card for Bellator. It's two of their biggest stars going head-to-head. It's a rematch that a lot of people are looking forward to. And it's fan friendly. I mean, these guys like to finish fights 15 out of 19 for MVP, 26 out of 32 uh, for Douglas Lima. So I think it's going to be fun while it lasts. But uh, I don't know. Even though MVP has the momentum right now, I still just feel like overall, when you look at the competition, Lima still holds a leg up. Uh, we'll see. Maybe MVP is going to finally crack in, prove the doubters wrong, and fight for gold next. I'm excited for this fight. I believe MVP is 34. Yep, 34 and, that, and 33. That, and that also plays a factor here. And, you know, you, when you look at this bout from a distance, MVP is like the, you know, the, the not prospect, but the the budding contender, the guy who's yeah. never quite been able to make it there. And Lima's like the aging out veteran who's been at the top for so yeah. long. When, Lima's younger than MVP. That's what's yeah. crazy. So I think this fight, this fight could – I'm trying to think how this fight's going to go. I mean, MVP clearly going to try to keep this fight on defeat. Right. He's going to do what he does. He's a very flashy guy, has a lot of flashy offense. That's typically why I think a lot of his bouts have been against lesser competition. has been a way for him to kind of – build that arsenal of weapons that people really get excited about. You know, he's going up against guys that he kind of knows he can showboat on and, and do the dance and knock people out in highlight real fashion. While Lima is going to be the one that's really going to look to, I guess, keep things on a more serious note. He's going to look to really grind this fight out and looking to get back on track. Truthfully. I mean, it seems like, MVP's the one coming in with, you know, a chip on his shoulder because he lost to Lima previously. But I don't know if that's true here because I think the worst thing actually happening for MVP is that Lima is starting to get counted out by people around him. Right. You know, if, if you're in that, if you watch enough Bellator, 
there is the question going on that is Douglas Lima kind of on the downward, mm-hmm. you know? So he's the one that might be coming in with an even bigger chip on his shoulder to prove that he's not done in this division, not even close. Yeah. So, you know, being that this is in, this fight really is set up for MVP. Oh, yeah. But it seems like that's a that's a, that's a gamble, you know, because he's just never quite proved to me that he's an elite talent. Mm-hmm. I think he's got some elite skills uh, he definitely has skills in, in terms of his striking it's i don't know if i would call it elite but i would definitely call it unique yeah um so but i just don't think he's ever really he's just not what i think bellator wanted him to be i don't think he's what his fans want him to be you know, he is a really fun fighter to watch, a very fun fighter mm-hmm. to, you know, support and, you know, all that. And I, I get why he's became one of their more popular fighters. But I just don't think, all in all, he's really the guy, you know. Yeah. And, and Lima, to get to be, if you're the guy, you're probably going to get past Lima in this fight. So that's why my mind tells me that Lima might just have his number here and that you know it's a it's a it's a questionable matchup for Bellator for sure um and kind of a string of odd matchmaking in my opinion you know you had the Phil Davis Yoel Romero mm-hmm. fight which I still stand by what a weird fight to put Yoel in I said that in the lead up I'm not just saying that in hindsight yeah thought it was a weird fight for Yoel to make his debut against such a tough opponent right away and I guess maybe I should respect Bellator for that, but I'm just confused by it. And here again, you're running this fight back when MVP hasn't really fought anybody else at the top of the heap here. Yeah. So, like, why why are we running it back with Lima again? Is it because he's a former champion and he's the, one of the bigger names? So um, maybe MVP needs that rub in order to prove that he can fight for a title. I don't know. I just I don't know if this is really going to go the way Bellator – is sort of assuming it will based on all the pop they're putting into this and kind of putting it in his country and whatnot. Right. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to the fight because these, there is a lot of questions here, you know, where does MVP go? If he loses, if he gets knocked out mm-hmm. in the same kind of, fa- in a similar fashion, or if this fight ends up being like awesome, a five round war, even, you know, think Volkanovsky or Tega. Yeah. You know, does that is, is that enough proof that MVP can hang with the top of the heap? Is that is that all you need to show that maybe he's still worthy of being in a title fight if he can just be in there and go five rounds with the Lima and maybe win two of them and come really close to winning the fight? Is that the proof that we need? I don't know. I think there's a lot of there's a lot that's going to be analyzed coming off of this fight. I think mm-hmm. um, it's just we, now we just need to see it. Yeah. You're you're true. You're you're true. You're right. <laughs> Sorry, I got tongue twisted. UFC Vegas 38. You know, Dominic, you asked a question off recording. You said, "Is this another week where Bellator has the biggest fight of the weekend?" My argument is no. I, I all in all think Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker is the fight. Bigger okay, when I was saying, but like, is this the most intrigued? Is this the best fight of the weekend? Essentially, is it the, right? You know, 
And in my opinion, no. I'm going with Santos Walker. There are going to be a lot of people that I think are more on the Lima Page side, like you are, and mm -hmm. I'm sure there will. That might be the majority opinion. But for me, this fight's being slept on a little bit, and I understand I why. Yeah, these are two guys that are in desperate need of positive momentum right now. Uh, two guys that have had their time in the sun in the UFC. Tiago Santos fought for a belt against John Jones, a belt that me and Dominic will shout from rooftops. Yes, that uh, he deserved coming off that fight. Man fought on one knee, and I thought won three rounds against the best fighter potentially of all time. Yes. Since then, not been very smooth sailing. Also, let's not look past. He's the last man to beat Jan Blachowicz. Good point. Knocked out Jan Blachowicz. Yeah. There's another fun fact for you. Um, Johnny Walker, while coming off a win over Ryan Spann, you know, ever since this was a guy that I, I explained it to Dominic again off recording, that Johnny Walker has – I've never seen a guy that the MMA fan base as a whole so quickly sort of put on that kind of mountaintop on that pedestal. You know, when he had that string of knockouts early on in his career, that looked fantastic. And don't get me wrong. The dude's got the, the build. He had the swagger. He had the, the skills. It looked like, yeah. Um, but he was being looked at as like the John Jones kryptonite. You yes, know, I remember he was. He was looked at as the guy to beat John Jones. And then he ran into Corey Anderson. And then he lost his bout after that in a pretty boring, dull fight. And all of a sudden, people were saying that Johnny Walker needs to be cut from the UFC. It's like, whoa, let's yeah. – I think we just went from one extreme to another here. <laughs> like these – you know, let's be clear. Johnny Walker is a very exciting fighter, a very fun fighter, who's yet to prove that he is an elite talent. Tiago Santos was at one time an elite fighter in this light heavyweight division who has not proven over the last year, year and a half, that he is still at that level coming off of that ACL, MCL, both. All injuries, the else. yeah, PCL, all of it against John Jones. Since he's came back, he has not looked like the same fighter. So I've laid kind of the backstory there, Dominic, for you. Give me the X's and O's of this fight. How do you how do you see it playing out? Where do you see this fight going? How long does it last? Even I don't know. Ooh, I like all those questions there. Now, well, first off, it's going to be a striking war. I, I think everybody is kind of anticipating that. Now, war. How are you going to look at that word in particular? Because <laughs> Tiago, you know, he's been laying down damage in his last couple of fights, but once he empties the gas tank. It's empty. And then he just gets dominated the remainder of the fight. But Johnny Walker, kind of the same way in a sense that I don't think he has the greatest of gas tanks either. So I think we're going to see both these guys go balls to the wall for as long as they can. And who's going to be the one standing when the horn inevitably sounds is the question here. Uh, Johnny, I think, is, you know, he's such a big guy. This guy's six foot six. Okay, he's one of the biggest light heavyweights. He has an 82-inch reach. So he's going to have a 4-inch height advantage, a 6-inch uh, reach advantage. So that's crazy. You don't see size like that, differences very much in the light heavyweight division, unless you're John Jones. But now, and that's another reason why Johnny was looked at as the kryptonite going in when he first started with the UFC. So in that sense, you know, stay on the outside, pick his shots. He does some flashy things against Tiago. 
And, you know, Tiago's kind of a rangy striker at the same time, but once he explodes and gets in, he can put you down quick with his power, whether it's pressing you up against the cage and putting you down that way, or he can also land in the open. Uh, obviously, he was the last one to beat and finish Jan Blachowicz, which says a lot. So it is exciting in a sense to see Johnny kind of back in the talks with the contenders the elite quote-unquote of the division i mean he's number 10 going up against number five although santos is on the skid we realize that but uh it is still a huge jump for him at the same time i feel like but one that kind of makes sense because of santos and what he's done recently i am excited to see how he'll kind of or at least potentially come out and look to answer some questions but again it's going to be a striking war for as long as it lasts this will not go 25 minutes if it does i will be very very surprised i think someone goes out and they go out very quick yeah if this goes 25 minutes i'm going to be concerned (laughs) Uh, i will be very concerned with the kind of quality of fight we're getting here um truthfully i think that the ufc put these two together because they just don't know what to do with either one of them (laughs) yeah yeah. i mean really think about it tiago santos ranked number five in a division but i believe he's on a three fight losing streak yep and you know being that one of those three is john jones which was one of his better moments in that title fight where, again, fought on the one knee, essentially, fought on one leg, essentially, and uh, made it at least a very close fight. Depending on where you fall, doesn't really matter. But then coming back from that, the Glover to Sheriff fight, and then the Alexander Rakic fight, while the Glover one, he was probably more expected to win, and he looked real good early, and then you're right, completely guessed. Yeah. I thought he had remedied that in the Alexander Rakic fight. He didn't seem he didn't guess. He he was more conservative with his he offense, was. with his output. Unfortunately, though, he fell into that Rakic type fight. Like he kind of yeah. he kind of got into a technical tit for tat battle on the feet with Alexander Rakic and lost clearly on all three rounds. Even though it was a fight that I thought he held up okay in. Yeah, I just thought that like not the smartest of moves to basically try to fight Rakic at his own game and lost pretty decisively, I guess. Uh, Really just, it's been a weird go of things the last year for Tiago Santos. I think for him, you know, he clearly made the adjustment from the Teixeira to the Rakic fight. Yeah. Then he goes from Rakic, who is that patient, does have you know hard leg leg kicks, but does try to keep things at a distance and you know take his time and pick his shots wisely. He's going from that to Johnny Walker, <laughs> who goes in with reckless abandon, and even coming off of you know he's coming off a win, but against Ryan Span where he was nearly knocked out in the yep. first thirty seconds of the fight, and then knocked out Ryan Span within a minute. You know, just madness. Yes, but. The point being here is I think that Santos is going to be more aggressive in his approach this time around. Seeing how, you know, he didn't really put his foot on the pedal, so to speak, in that rakage fight that I feel like he knows he's got to be more, there's got to be a a better mix here. You know, you don't want to empty the gas tank right away, but you got to be a little more aggressive, especially early on. Mm -hmm. Maybe your opponent's still trying to get a feel for things. Johnny Walker ain't going to get a feel for nothing. That man's going to literally levitate over to the other side of the yeah. octagon if he has to. So because of that, I think we're in store for a very quick but very fun fight. 
someone's getting arrested. It sounds like I, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I just all in all, I think you're right. Quick fight going to be pretty decisive, I would say. I, I think this this is one of those fights where I take the under on the round. Yeah, right, right. Um, and I really think whoever wins this is going to have that positive momentum they need to really stay alive in terms of the top of the heap in this division. You know, for Johnny Walker, win here puts him in the top five. You know, I mean, at that point, can you really say that Johnny Walker is, you know, he might not be what the John Jones kryptonite. Right. But at that point, has he has he kind of achieved what, you know, I guess the goal was for him when you saw some of those knockouts? I mean, a win here, he is kind of a contender, right? Yeah, I 100% agree. And nowadays, you no longer have to be a John Jones kryptonite in the light heavyweight division. So that helps <laughs> yeah. him out a little bit more, too. Again, he's going to look to launch into the top five where people have been waiting on him or at least anticipating him early on in his career, sleep on him now, but then he might still launch himself in there. It's going to be exciting. That's why I think the winner, there's going to be a lot of positive, positive momentum to be gained here. You know, right now, stock is low on both these guys. Yeah. But exactly. a quick knockout, a highlight reel knockout that we're assuming is going to happen for one of them likely, you know, gets them back into people's minds like, oh, yeah, that guy is good. Yeah. So if it's Johnny Walker, I think you might start to I, – I wouldn't be surprised if Johnny Walker comes in here and does kind of what he did to Span, but to Tiago, and let's say he doesn't actually get rattled this time. Um, I do think you're going to start seeing some people speak up and go, maybe he's the Jan Blahovich kryptonite. Right, know. right. Um, but for Tiago, a win, I think, does the same. People go, oh, Maheta is back. That's what I'm going to be saying anyways. I love back Maheta. on track. See yeah. what I did there? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Let's get into the co-main event. Big mouth. It's time to put up or shut up. Oh. You see you see now why I put that in the headline? I, I see. I see what you did. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Holland, still ranked number 14. At, uh, he's middleweight. So yep. I, why I, I was confused. I keep after his anticipated move to welterweight now it just confuses me. Yeah, it's because we want him down there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So number 14 middleweight going up against Kyle Dawkins, the brother of Chris, not to be confused with number seven ranked heavyweight Chris Dawkins. Yeah. So Dominic, it's not been a good 2021 for Kevin Holland. I think that's safe to say. Being that he was one of the candidates for fighter of the year in 2020, he went, what did he go? Five and oh, six and oh. I can't remember. Five and zero oh. in twenty twenty. He is now zero and two in twenty twenty one. Both in main event slots. Uh, Derek Brunson, Marvin Vittori, definitely elite competition, but still neither performance necessarily uh, making him look great. Uh, it seems there has been a considerable effort made by Kevin Holland to improve a lot of those weaknesses in his game. And yes, I know everybody saw that he was going to train with Daniel Cormier at ATT. I don't know how often he actually trained with Daniel Cormier, but it just appears that there was an actual effort made on his end to improve some of those grappling discrepancies that we were seeing in his last two bouts. Now he's going up against Kyle Dawkins. And Kyle Dawkins is a guy who is still really trying to kind of find his footing. Um, He's had his, I think he's coming off a loss coming in here. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it just, it seems like we're still trying to figure out what kind of fighter Kyle Dawkins is. So that's interesting, I guess, if you're a guy like Kevin Holland and trying to game plan for him. But it really feels like this is a 
a bounce back fight if I've ever seen one. I mean, this is purely for Kevin Holland. Like he is thinking purely about holding ground instead of trying to uh, move ahead, I guess. So Dominic, um, is this a must win for Kevin Holland at this point? Uh, at middleweight, yes, I would say so. I mean, we're talking about a guy that has lost 10 straight rounds, 50 straight minutes of fighting, all in the grappling realm, as Noah mentioned. He's been working on it. It's been made very clear uh, since his last loss there, and he's going to need the grappling to be a step up in this one because Dawkins is a grappler. He's got eight of his 10 wins via submission, so he's going to look to come in and make a statement, especially after being one and two in his young career in the UFC after having so much hype coming off of his contender series win. Uh, and he's he's got to try and get even with his brother, right, who's surging so much at heavyweight. So it's a big fight for Kyle <laughs> Dawkins. It's a big fight for Kevin Holland. Again, it's a little bit of a striker grappler. I think Dawkins is definitely competent on the feet. But we've seen that when Holland has uh, the advantage in the striking, and even when his last two fights against uh, Vittori and Brunson, when it was on the feet, Holland lands, and he lands very powerfully. He's a long reach. He's very rangy, and he can really pick shots uh, and put damage on his opponents, and he's going to need to do that here against Dawkins. And again, I want to see if the grappling has improved but I, because I think he's going to be tested. Dawkins is going to look to get him on the ground. So I know it's not quite the level, obviously, as Brunson and Vittori, but still, just to see the improvement from Holland in that aspect is something fans need to see. He's still very young into the game. He's only 28, and I still think he has a very bright future. So it's now, can he kind of begin this resurgence after having such a breakout year in 2025-0? But now he's on a skid, and he hasn't done hardly anything outside of the couple moments I mentioned on the feet. Uh, but those don't outweigh the difference in grappling. So if he can bounce back here, it would be very massive for him, especially being a fan favorite, the big mouth persona. You didn't see it much in his fight with Brunson. You're not going to hear it much going into this weekend, and it's because he's on that skid. But he needs a big bounce back. And again, as Noah said, it's kind of built for him in a way, this fight. But uh, don't sleep on Kyle Dawkins just because of his rough start so far with the 1-2 and two UFC record. I think he has a relatively high ceiling still in terms of where he can go in the top 15 of the division. But this is a big jump for him, especially after a loss. So uh, I'm excited to see, can he surge in, Kyle Dawkins that is, and for Kevin Holland, can he get the bounce back when he needs? Or is this going to kind of be the end of the road at middleweight? Um, because we've mentioned before how he's built for 170 in terms of his frame, and maybe that's in the cards here should he come out with a third straight loss. Yeah, this doesn't really say whether or not he will lose or win, but uh, Kyle Dawkins is not a big middleweight either. Yeah. Um, both guys kind of undersized for the division, I guess. I mean, Holland's not really undersized. It's just he can fight at welterweight. Yeah. He probably should based on his style of fight. Uh so this one doesn't really answer that question in terms of how competitive he can be with the bigger middleweights, but it at least is the win that he needs to stay relevant right now because, I mean, this guy had a lot of momentum going into 2021. If he goes 0-3 to probably finish off his year after going 5-0 and last year, that's, that's not going to be the best pill to swallow, man. And it's yeah. going to be tough to really gain back a lot of what you probably lost this year. But you're right. I definitely think a middleweight, you know, not all is lost. He could go down to welterweight, and, you know. But for this fight, be on the lookout for this one. It could be a sneaky good fight, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, let's get into the rest. Just a few more fights to talk about here. 
Dominic, Alex Oliveira versus Nico Price, a combined 16 children between the two. <laughs> There's your stat of the episode. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, wow, that's something. But um, these are two, you know, very fun fighters to watch. Uh, Nico Price is probably the more relevant of the two right now. He's He's been fighting, uh, I would say he's been showing better performances as of late. Um, still being the same Nico Price, the guy who basically goes in there. I don't want to say kill or be killed because he's not necessarily a guy getting finished all the time, but definitely goes out on his shield, so to speak. He he will he refuses to back down. He refuses to you know take a round off or uh, take a minute off in a fight. The guy's just all action, all pace, all the time, and um, sometimes he gets the pace put on him, but. It leads to a lot of fun fights. This guy's won a lot of bonuses. Alex Oliveira has seen better days in the promotion. I, I don't know if you have his current win streak or losing streak in front of you. but uh, Two-fight losing streak. Okay. And I think if you even look a little bit further back, it's probably not been probably a lot of red you know, over the past few years. But we know what how capable Alex Oliveira can be. And this is the kind of perfect fight where you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, this mm-hmm. is this is as 50-50 as it gets because while, yes, do I give the advantage to Nico Price? Sure, he's not exactly a high IQ fighter. Um, could go in there and definitely get caught with something. Could definitely – this is just one of those fights where I wouldn't recommend betting on either guy because either guy could go in there and get caught with something, can pull a rabbit out of the hat and get a highlight reel submission or – knockout you know you just don't know with this one yeah i mean you want to talk about 16 combined kids well these guys got 36 wins combined 30 of them are via finish this fight's going to be violent it's going to be rowdy uh and i think there is another performance bonus on the line here for the winner of this or maybe both of them because this is a potential fight of the night contender as well but i really see this as someone's going to get injured quickly on the feet and get finished on the ground whether that be from kotko or submission Someone's going to go out on their shield here. I think it's a fun fight between two veterans that are fan-friendly. And for really both, I mean, Oliveira on the two-fight losing streak, but for Nico, he's on a three-fight winless streak, a loss, the no contest with Donald Cerrone, and then a loss. So both these guys really looking to bounce back. Again, two veterans that I wouldn't necessarily say their job is on the line because they're so fan-friendly and the UFC loves to put them in fun fights. But it is big in a sense of just getting your career kind of back on track no one wants to you know stack up a losing streak per se so i think it's going to be very fun very exciting i just don't know how long it's going to last i'm glad that you gave that that statistic about price because i definitely i I didn't realize that the guy was on a three fight uh winless streak you know it's so weird like the Cerrone fight yeah he probably would have won if not for i believe he got a point taken away Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at how close the fight was in his last outing with um, – you got the name in front of you. Uh, I don't have it pulled up. I'm, um, I'm blanking right now. I know. Um, uh, um, you know, the it's guy who does the, the back – the guy who does, guy who does the backflips in the cage. Michelle Pajara. Thank you, Michelle Pajara. It's a very close fight there, too. A lot of people thought Nico won that fight. So he still right now feels like the more reverent fighter, the one that's got more, I guess – bigger fights down the line maybe or just more ahead of him while Alex Oliveira feels like he's really kind of fighting for his career at this point. Um 
I don't know. I think it's going to be, you're definitely right. Contender for fight of the night for sure. Yeah. Anytime these two get in there, that's the case. Um, I, I definitely side a little more with Nico in this one, though, if I, if I had to pick. It's interesting. Aspen Ladd versus Macy Chieson? Chieson. Macy Got a little Chies- of that French on there, you know? Macy Chieson. <laughs> yeah. Um, this definitely is the fight for Aspen Ladd to prove it. You know, this is, it's been a while since we've seen her in there. I'll be the first to admit, not big on Aspen Ladd. I know Dominic is. Yeah. Dominic's ride or die with Aspen Ladd. Right here, this isn't necessarily a fight to maybe prove that she's a contender because she really already is at this point. She's number three mm-hmm. ranked bantamweight. Um, this is just a fight, in my opinion. In a way, it is a title eliminator for her. Yeah. It could be anyways. You know, a win here, it holds her place. It's the win that she kind of needs after the long layoff while Amanda goes and fights Juliana. And then we'll see from there. I still think you're going to have Nunes Shevchenko 3, which, if I'm being honest, if I have the choice between Nunes Shevchenko 3 and Nunes Lad, I'm probably taking Nunes Shevchenko 3. Damn it, no. But, uh, <laughs> but no disrespect, Aspen Lad. It's just I need, I need her to really come out here and show something. you know. And Macy's a tough opponent. And even though she's ranked 11th, she should not be overlooked in this matchup. I'm actually in my head. I, I might even would pick her in this matchup, mm-hmm. but um, I just need I need Aspen Ladd to not just not just ease by. I need her to you know do what Carlos Barza did to Jan Jelman. Right. You know that, that's what I'm looking for. Is like I need her to put a performance on someone and show that she is a level above. Because if she can't prove to me that she is a level above her competition, then she's not even close to being at the level Amanda Nunes is. And yeah. again, I'm all about people deserving the chances they get. You know, if you win enough fights, you should get a title fight. But my God, if I have to try and and if I have to go on this podcast, Dominic, and talk about how Aspen Ladd deserves a title shot, and then she goes in there and turtles up like Lauren Murphy. I might sell. I might combust. I might explode. We don't want that to happen live on air. Um, you know, I, I this is interesting. I'm big on Aspen Lad, but we've not seen her since December of 2019. But for Macy, she's been very active, especially since coming off the Ultimate Fighter. She's seven and one, five and one in the UFC. Aspen's nine and one, four and one in the UFC. So it's great matchmaking. And really, Macy, <laughs> while sitting at number eleven, I feel she's she's better than that. I think that's a an underrated, underappreciated ranking for her. I think she's higher. I think she has a high ceiling. She's very long, very rangy. She's 5'11". She has a 72-inch reach, so she's very big for the weight class, and she's going to be much longer here against Aspen. But it's weird when you watch Macy fight because she doesn't usually utilize that range and reach as much as you would think someone that long in the women's division should. And Aspen's one that likes to close the distance, dirty box, clinch up, ground and pound you. And she gets a lot of finishes. I mean, she's finished 7 out of 9. Macy's finished 4 out of 7. So it is a big fight for both to look to make a statement in terms of proving, hey, we're amongst the elite of this division. Hey, Amanda, I know you've been kind of blasting through everyone, but we're kind of that that new life, the new fresh blood, if you will, in this division, being that they're younger than everyone else and uh, in terms of the contender. So it is a big fight in terms of what can come next in their careers. I'm excited to see Aspen after a long layoff. And for Macy, her biggest test yet, 
I want to see if she can pass with flying colors. Nice. Last one here. Ah, Bit of a sleeper fight, but one that's is. definitely worth talking about. The younger or older sister, older. Valentina Shevchenko, Antonina Shevchenko, looks to bounce back. Is she coming off a loss in this one? Yep. I think she is. And she goes up against the surging prospect, Casey O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Dominic, we're big on Casey O'Neill right now. Antonina feels like one night she looks like a world beater. The next night she looks helpless in the octagon. So lack of consistency, to say the least, from the older Shevchenko sister. While Casey O'Neill has been consistently putting beatings on people so yes. far in the UFC. Um, what does Antonina need to do here to, in my opinion, I don't know what the odds are going to say, but I'm assuming Casey O'Neill is going to be the favorite in this fight. And I could yeah. be wrong because, you know, Antonina is a Shevchenko and maybe does get a bit of that that rub from mm-hmm. being Valentina's sister. But um, I'm going to assume, in, in my mind, Casey O'Neill should be the favorite here. So if you're Antonina, what do you have to do to make this a competitive fight? And we've seen her be so inconsistent. Where is has she shown anything to you over her last few bouts that she has consistently done right? Yeah, that's interesting for Antonina because she kind of has that Roxanne Montefiore effect in terms of she's literally had six fights in the UFC, win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. So technically this fight should be a win if you go off of that, but we'll <laughs> see what happens. She is inconsistent, as Noah said, because she's had performances where she looks amazing and looks like a top 10, top 15 player, but then she's had them where she just gets dominated and doesn't really show much of anything. So in this fight, she's a world-class Muay Thai striker, just like her sister Valentina. I think she needs to keep it at range and pick her shots because Casey O'Neill is very well-rounded, but if she gets you grappled and gets you on – gets you grappled. What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> if she gets you to the ground with her grappling and utilizes her – Ground and pound, she looks for KOTKO, she looks for submissions, she's super well-rounded. This is a big jump for Casey, but at the same time, it's one I feel she's earned, especially after two dominant performances to start her UFC career. She's only 23 years old, she's super young, she's that new breed of fighter in this division, and a division that needs a lot of fresh blood, and they've definitely got it with her, Macy Barber, Miranda Maverick, etc. But Antonina, very much the uh, veteran in this one in terms of fight years, and uh, age in general, competition across the world throughout all of MMA. It's a big fight. And again, if she can keep it at range, I feel it favors Antonina. If she does what she does when she looks good, Casey, if she can get it close and grapple, she might get the biggest win of her career and be knocking on the door top 15 next. I'm glad there at the end you answered the question because I was like, I don't think Dominic's going to answer my question. He's going on this long. I, I this find long ways. Point. It just takes me longer <laughs> to get there. Um, I agree. I think if uh, I don't know if there really is anything Antonina's done that I would say has been consistently successful. It seems like you know you look at the fight with uh, was it Queen, what's her nickname Queen of Violence? Um, oh yeah, Lipsky. Yeah, Ariane, Ariane Lipsky. She looked fantastic in that. She fight. did. Yeah, put a beating on Lipsky, and then follows that up against a striker in Andrea Lee, who grapples her for the yeah yeah for the for the majority of the fight and ultimately gets a big win so it's just hard to kind of really value how good Antonina is you know maybe it's just it just so happens to be these opponents she's getting maybe their levels of uh talent aren't 
quite as equal as we think they are. You know, Lipsky was someone that I really enjoyed watching. You know, she had the submission of the year contender in mm-hmm. uh, 2020. But she's not really shown to maybe be, you know, quite as good as I maybe thought she was. So then that win doesn't look as good. While Andrea Lee, with that performance, looked the best she's looked in the UFC. So maybe yep. she's even better than she had shown to be before that. So there's a lot of factors in play there. Um, I definitely think that this is an uphill battle for Antonina, but she has a really good team around her, obviously. Her younger sister, Valentina, is one of the goats. So um, it should be a good fight. And, you know, if if Anthony, if it's not her night and it's Casey O'Neill's, oh, my gosh, Casey O'Neill might be the, the, the thing to watch out for in this division. 100%. That's going to wrap it up for this very long edition of the MMA Weekend Preview Show. Uh, let's say you give us your thoughts on these fights, all the announcements that were in this episode, any of the news that we talked about, or, of course, any of the fights happening today or tomorrow. We'll be back on Monday with a weekend recap. Again, any news and fight announcements that come between now and then will be on there. I can't imagine there will be too much. <laughs> I mean, geez. And then, um, obviously, all the fights we discussed here, We'll be able to turn around and give you the recaps plus anything else that stands out to us. But until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Diesley14. More importantly, go follow, go engage, go interact with the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at BAJ underscore MMA podcast. Fun note, the link tree now matches that by the way. So now all of our ads across social media are at BAJ underscore MMA podcast. All right. Noah, tell them. <laughs> wow. That was nice. I was running short on breath. <clears throat> uh, for me, you can uh, find me on Twitter, Instagram at NT Baker underscore. If you go to my bio on either of those, it'll take you to the link tree, which uh, provides you with a list of links that, show everywhere that the podcast is on along with social media platforms that includes the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel and Spotify, Google and Apple podcast. It's all on there, baby. And there's a couple links for today's sponsor anchor. Shout out Shout anchor. Out. Shout out to anchor. Uh, leave it a voice message. Do it, please. Yeah. Leave a voice message. If you have a thought about an upcoming fight, um, again, everything I said before, if you're a new story, if there's any questions you have, you will be featured on the podcast if you so choose to be. There's also a link on there if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. Hmm. That just provides us with a few dollars a month. All that money goes back into improving the quality of the podcast. Um, can I get rid of the train tracks out there? I don't know. But if you donate yeah. enough money, I, I'll go out there myself. You know? <laughs> Start. I don't know. I'm gonna do it. I'm just gonna go out there and start. Digging. He's gonna put a sign that says "No trains for the next hour." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's why you should donate to the podcast, right? Okay. Right. But uh, that's it. We're out. We'll see y'all on Monday.